Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of the first book of Samuel, chapter 31, and the second book of Samuel, chapter one. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Welcome today to our study of David and the Psalms. Today, we will discuss 1 Samuel, chapter 31, the last chapter of 1 Samuel, and then we'll start 2 Samuel, chapter 1. Now, last week, we had a lot of fun, right? Everyone plays the fool, remember? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see if you can get this one today. Steve told me, don't overdo this. And now the end is near. I already heard it, yep. And so I face This is today's theme. The final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case. You can sing if you want. Of which I'm certain. You all know it. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more. Much more than this, I did it my All right, you can guess who that's about. This would have been a wonderful funeral song for King Saul. And when I looked up this song, another lady on YouTube, the first comment was, my husband is a very stubborn man and always did things his way, despite what others said or thought, even those that had more wisdom. So I dedicate this song to my loving husband, Pat Bowers, as things were always done his way. So at Pat Bowers' funeral, I will be sure to play Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. That's Pat. Well, that's also Saul. That's also Saul. Saul did it his way till the very end. Our theme today is, I did it my way. Why do we choose our own way over God's way? I did it my way. My way or the highway. We can do things my way, my way, or my way. Pick one. As long as everything's exactly done the way I want it, I am totally flexible. I did it my way. Saul, the Benjamite, did things his way as well. Several times, Saul did not listen to the word of the Lord. He often ignored Samuel, God's prophet who anointed him Israel's first king. He often ignored Torah, not destroying the Amalekites as God had ordered. In fact, Saul ordered Doag the Edomite to slay 85 Levitical priests of the Lord. Saul liked to do things his way. Saul had become an enemy of the Lord, but he did not start out that way. Saul became an enemy of the Lord. The Almighty God is not someone you want for an enemy, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. The Almighty God is not the enemy of Saul. Saul became an enemy of God. Saul became an enemy of the Lord, like the proud Pharaoh of Egypt. He was another one whose heart got stone cold toward the God of Moses. He drove Moses out of Egypt, but then, like King Saul, Pharaoh decided to do things his way, and he chased down and hunted down Moses, the man of God. 
Just like last week when David said, Saul, the king of Israel, has come out to seek my life as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Pharaoh of Egypt reneged on his word and he decided to hunt down Moses. How did that end? Pharaoh and his chariots the Lord cast into the sea. Pharaoh had become an enemy of the Almighty God and he will end up at the bottom of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's chariots and his host the Lord cast into the sea. We sing it at every Easter vigil. We remember this story. Only a fool thinks that they are a match for the Almighty God, but Everybody plays a fool sometimes. Saul today did it his way. One of the most foolish things Saul ever did was to consult the medium at Endor. I did it my way. The Lord had warned and warned and warned against that, but Saul did it his way. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell on Mount Gilboa, and the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchusa, the sons of Saul, the battle pressed hard upon Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to the armor bearer, and we don't know the name of that armor bearer. It's an anonymous armor bearer. Saul said to the armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and make sport of me. He wanted to control his death. He did it his way. He's asking another man to commit murder so that he can have his way. But Saul's armor bearer would not do it, and he feared greatly. Who did the armor bearer fear? God. The armor bearer feared the Almighty God. He knew murder is one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. The armor bearer feared laying a hand on the Lord's anointed one, the Mashiach. Fear as a motivator. So who do you fear? Because fear of man means you obey man. You want to please man. But if you fear God, then you will obey God, and your aim will be to please God. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. Saul felt the walls of battle crushing in on him. Saul was bodily wounded by the archers. Saul did it his way. For what is a man? What has he got? Listen to the words. If not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blow. Saul did it his way. And we see quite a contrast between these two characters by the Hebrew writers, David and Saul. David does things the Lord's way. Saul does things his own way. Saul dies from a self-inflicted sword. And remember, just less than 24 hours ago, he was consulting the medium at Endor and eating bread and drinking blood, eating blood with her. These are both two abominations of the Lord to eat blood totally against Leviticus 17, to consult mediums time and time again in the Old Testament. And then he takes his own life. He did it his way. Now, you die like you live. Have you ever heard that? You die like you live. If you live well, you will die well. Now, in 
Mass this week, we've been hearing from the Maccabees. This is a book that, that was removed by the Protestants. But today, uh, on Tuesday, we heard about the martyr Eleazar, and it's a perfect example. He was the teacher to the seven Maccabee brothers, the martyrs. And Eleazar was one of the scribes in a high position, and he was a man advanced in age of noble presence, and he was being forced to open his mouth and eat pig swine, swine flesh. But he, welcoming death and honor rather than life with pollution, because it was against God's law, he went up to the rack of his own accord, spitting out the flesh of the swine, as men ought to go who have the courage to refuse things that is not right to the taste, even for the natural love of life. Those who were in charge of the unlawful sacrifice took the man aside because of their long acquaintance with him. And they privately urged Eleazar to eat the meat, just eat the meat, or bring your own meat, bring your own meat and we'll switch it out. And no one will even know. But Eleazar would not do it. He's a 90-year-old man. He will not do it. He'll follow the word of the Lord, not the word of man who have come in and taken over at the time of the Maccabees. Such pretense is not worthy of our times of life, he said, lest many of the young would suppose that Eleazar in his 90th year had gone over to an alien religion. This is the end of his life. You think I'm going to blow it now? He's lived a whole life in accordance with the word of the Lord. Now you want me to go against the Lord, eat the meat and die and have two minutes of glory when I've lived my whole life for the Lord? And the example I'm going to set for the young kids here, and, and though my pretense for the sake of living a brief moment longer, they should be led astray, the youth, because of me, when I defile and disgrace my old age, he won't do it. He won't do it. He's the teacher of the Holy Seven Maccabees martyr, and he wants to set a good example for them. For even if the present, I should avoid the punishment of men, yet whether I live or die, I shall not escape. Therefore, by manly giving up my life now, I will show myself worthy of my old age and leave to the young a noble example of how to die a good death, willingly and nobly for the revered and holy laws. And when he said this, he went at once to the rack, and those who were a little before had acted toward him with goodwill, now changed to ill will. How quickly they turned on him, because the words he had uttered were, in their opinion, sheer madness. And when he was about to die under the blows, he groaned aloud, and he said, It is clear to the Lord in his holy knowledge that though I might have been saved from death, I am enduring terrible sufferings in my body under this beating, but in my soul I am glad to suffer these because I fear him. It's this fear motivator again. Who are you motivated by? Fear of the Lord or fear of men? Who do you aim to please? So in this way he died, leaving in his death an example of nobility and a memorial of courage, not only to the young, but to the great body, to his entire nation. Eleazar did it God's way. You die like you live. If you live well, you will die well. But there's temptation at the end of life. There's temptation. We pray for the strength and the courage to avoid temptation in our final hour. How many times have you said the rosary? Now and at the hour of our death, amen. Now and at the hour of our death, amen. You don't want to blow it in your final hour. The same temptation is here for us today, but it's just packaged and marketed differently. The temptation to despair at the hour of death. Saul committed suicide. Now, the CDC says that suicide rates have increased 33% 
in the last 20 years between 1999 and 2019. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. It was responsible in 2019 for 47,500 deaths just in the U.S., one death every 11 minutes from suicide. The number of people who think about attempting suicide is a lot higher. 12 million Americans in one year thought about suicide. 3.5 million of those had a suicide attempt, an actual attempt, and 1.4 million were successful at attempting and succeeded. 47,500 people in 219 alone. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's staggering. Suicide is the fifth leading cause of death in ages 45 to 54. It's the fourth leading cause of death in people aged 35 to 44. And it's the number two leading cause of death for people 10 to 34. And 219 was a long time ago. Those were stats from 219. Now with COVID, the New York Times just yesterday, November 17th, 2021, just yesterday reported that in the last 12-month period ending in April, more than 100,000 Americans have died of overdoses. 100,000, up 30% from the 78,000 deaths last year. This is just overdoses. The figure marks the first time the number of overdose deaths in the U.S. has exceeded 100,000, and it's more than the toll of car crashes and gun fatalities combined. What is going on? on. Well, our popes have been telling us this for several years. They've been telling us for years that the culture is moving from a culture of life to a culture of death. There is no death in God. He is eternal life. Christ conquered death on the cross. He sat down, he rose from the dead and then sat down victoriously at the right hand of the Father. Death could not keep him down. There's no death in God. God's word was made incarnate human flesh, and that word he has given us, and it's a gospel of life. That Bible you hold in your hands is a gospel of life and only life. There is no death in God. He's eternal. He's infinite. We have a soul that's also eternal and infinite. Simon Peter knew that Jesus had the words of everlasting life. This gospel is a gospel of life. And 25 years ago, John Paul II wrote in his 17th year of his pontificate, he wrote Evangelium Vitae. And that means on the value and the inviability of human life. And it starts like this. The gospel of life is at the heart of Jesus's message, lovingly received day after day by the church. It is to be preached with dauntless fidelity as good news to the people of every age and every culture. And then if you advance to paragraph 64, and stick with me here, this is super important. He's talking about now at the other end of life spectrum, and that's where a lot of us are, at the other end of life spectrum, the end of life. Men and women find themselves facing the mystery of death. Today, as a result of advances in medicine and in a cultural context frequently closed to the transcendent, the experience of dying is marked by new features. When the prevailing tendency is to value life only to the extent that it brings pleasure and well-being, suffering seems like an unbearable setback, something from which one must be freed of at all costs. 
Death is considered senseless if it suddenly interrupts a life still open to a future of new and interesting experiences. But it becomes a rightful liberation once life is held to be no longer meaningful because it is filled with pain and an inexorable doomed to even greater suffering. Furthermore, when he denies or neglects his fundamental relationship to God, man thinks he has his own rule and measure with the right to demand that society should guarantee him the ways and means of deciding what to do with his life in full and complete autonomy. This was 25 years ago, John Paul wrote this. It is especially people in the developed countries, like USA, in the developed countries who act this way. They feel encouraged to do so also by the constant progress of medicine and its ever more advancing techniques. By using highly sophisticated systems and equipment, science and medical practice today are able not only to attend to cases formally considered untreatable and to reduce or eliminate pain, but also to sustain and prolong life, even in situations of extreme frailty, to resuscitate artificially patients whose basic biological functions have undergone sudden collapse, and to use special procedures to make organs available for transplanting. In this context, the temptation grows to have recourse to euthanasia, that is to take control of death and to bring it about before its time, gently ending one's own life or the life of others. In reality, what might seem logical and humane when looked at more closely is seen to be senseless and inhumane. We are faced with one of the more alarming symptoms of the culture of death, which is advancing above all in prosperous societies, marked by an attitude of excessive preoccupation with efficiency, in which sees the growing number of elderly and disabled people as intolerable and too burdensome. To concur with the intention of another person to commit suicide, and to help in carrying it out through so-called assisted suicide means to cooperate in and at times to be the actual perpetrator of an injustice which can never be excused even if it is requested. In a remarkably relevant passage, John Paul II then quotes St. Augustine who says, it is never licit to kill another even if he should wish it. Indeed, if he requests it, because hanging between life and death, he begs for help in freeing the soul, struggling against the bonds of the body and longing to be released. Nor is it licit even when a sick person is no longer able to live. Even when not motivated by a selfish refusal to be burdened with the life of someone who is suffering, euthanasia must be called a false mercy, a false mercy, and indeed a disturbing perversion of mercy. True compassion leads to sharing another's pain. It does not kill the person who is suffering because we can't bear their suffering. Moreover, the act of euthanasia appears all the more perverse if it is carried out by those like relatives who are supposed to treat a family member with patience and love, or by those such as doctors who by virtue of their specific profession are supposed to care for the sick person, even in the most painful terminal stages. You remember this guy? Dr. Death. Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Jack Kevorkian was an American pathologist and euthanasia proponent. He's best known for his public campaign of a terminal patient's right to die via assisted suicide by a physician. Kevorkian claimed to have assisted at least 130 patients to death. Some called him a hero, Dr. Death. He helps set the platform for reform. He's remembered for his quote, dying is not a crime. 
Philip Nietzsche, founder of director of the Right to Die organization called Exit International, said that Kevorkian moved the debate forward in ways that the rest of us can only imagine. He started at a time when it was hardly talked about, and he got people thinking about the issue. He paid one hell of a price, and that is one of the hallmarks of true heroism. On his grave, on his tombstone, it reads of Jack Kevorkian, MD, he sacrificed himself for everyone's rights. He sacrificed himself for everyone's rights. The Catholic Church strongly disagreed. The Catholic Church in Detroit, Michigan said that Kevorkian left behind a deadly legacy that denied scores of people their right to humane death. Dr. Kevorkian violated laws against assisted suicide by helping patients give themselves a fatal injection through a so-called suicide machine. Five times in a decade, he was prosecuted in the death of a seriously ill person. Three trials ended in acquittal and a fourth ended in mistrial. The fifth trial in April of 1999, a Michigan jury found Dr. Jack Kevorkian guilty of second degree murder in the death of Thomas Yoke, a 52 year old. Kevorkian himself had administered the fatal injection and the sentence was 10 to 25 years in prison for Dr. Kevorkian. Now back to John Paul's document what was before predated Kevorkian. Number 66, the choice of euthanasia becomes even more serious when it takes the form of a murder committed by others on a person who has in no way requested it and has never consented to it. The height of arbitrary and injustice is reached when certain people such as physicians or legislatures arrogate to themselves the power to decide who ought to live and who ought to die. Once again, we find ourselves before the temptation of Eden to become like God who knows good and evil. God alone has the power over life and death. It is I who bring both death and life. And then John Paul quotes a scripture that we had this year, 1 Samuel 2, 6, which is Hannah's prayer, in which she says at verse 6, the Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. It is God's decision. He is the author of life, every breath we breathe. John Paul goes on to say, but he only exercises his power in accordance with the plan of wisdom and love, the Lord. When man usurps this power, being enslaved by a foolish and selfish way of thinking, he inevitably uses it for injustice and death. And then he writes in this document, taking into account these distinctions in harmony with the magisterium of my predecessors and in communion with the bishops of the Catholic Church, I confirm that euthanasia is a grave violation of the law of God since it is the deliberate and morally unacceptable killing of a human person. This doctrine is based upon the natural law and upon the written word of God. It is transmitted by the church's tradition and taught by the ordinary and universal magisterium. Depending on the circumstances, this practice involves the malice proper to suicide or murder. How did the world respond? Well, things started springing up like death with dignity, international. Seven in 10 Americans support the right of people with a terminal illness to die on their own terms. Canada, all uh, Nova Scotia, country after country after country have these death with dying, dying with dignity, even the word, it's not dignity, it's false mercy, the Pope said, calling it acts of love, living and dying well, helping people die, dignity and dying. Give me liberty at my death. My life, my death, my choice. Allowing choice at the time of death, end of life. Give me choice over my death. 82% of Britons are in support of assisted dying. 
Dying people should not have to suffer against their wishes. People want to control their own death now. That's what Saul wanted to do. This is a screenshot, but there are eight states in the United States that have a death with dignity stature where you can go to die on your own terms. The way you want your death to go, you can map it all out and die that way. There's one state, Montana, where you have to have a legal court order. There are the peach-colored states. Those are 14 states that it's in their legislative session this year. They're discussing it. And uh, Nebraska is still one of those red states that doesn't have legislative activity <clears throat> on the books for this year, but it's been brought up several times. In 214, you might remember Brittany Maynard. She was on the cover of People magazine. The article was called My Decision to Die. She was 29 years old, and she planned to end her life in less than three weeks. She had it all planned out. She was on every talk show. She had three weeks to talk because she had planned her own death. She had a terminal brain cancer, a glioblastoma, and she wanted to plan her own death. So the whole world was waiting. She said the day it's going to be in November and everyone's waiting. So she used those three weeks to do whatever she wanted, to be with the people she loved, and the news covered everywhere she went. Then she started to rethink her death when the time was getting closer, and she said, you know, if it doesn't feel like the right time, then I'll change the date. But the whole world was waiting on pins and needles for the time, she said, and, and she went through with it. And then the next issue was about her husband and his heartbreak. She did it her way. She wanted to orchestrate her own death, and because of that wells again of this death with dignity started coming up again. The Vatican responded to Brittany. A Vatican bioethics official called Brittany Maynard's death by assisted suicide an undignified absurdity. That was strong words. This woman took her own life thinking she would die with dignity, but this is the error. Monsignor Ignacio Carseco de Paula, head of the Pontifical Academy for Life, told the Italian news agency. Suicide is not a good thing. It is a bad thing because it is saying no to the life and to everything it means with respect to our mission in the world and toward those around us. So what are we to do living among a culture of death? What are we to do as Catholics, as Christians who live in a culture of death? John Paul said, the church counters the culture of death with the culture of love. We have to show more love. We have to show more joy. We have to show more trust in the Lord and his words. We have to know God's love letter to us inside and out, and we have to cling to it. These are the promises that you can stand on. I commend you for being here and studying God's word to this depth, line by line exegesis. Today is the feast day of St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, November 18th. She started the first houses in America of the religious sisters called the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And we have one of her schools here, uh, founded in 1881, Duchenne Academy of the Sacred Heart. This is an icon of her, painted by one of our Seeking Truth class members, Kyoko Fuller. And today in my Magnificat, I was praying, and this is what her words were. It's about her death. This illness, she's, she's ill. This illness is a swelling that goes from one side of my body to the other, and they say that it will end my life. I have been in this condition, more or less suffering, since the end of November. I am far from trying to escape death. Indeed, I would long for it had I not so much reason to fear the judgment, since even the just man has no assurance of his lot, as God must judge even the just. So the Lord, fear is her motivator. She feared the Lord. She feared his judgment. Every man will stand before the judgment seat of God, we learned in Romans. She feared that that day. The thought is terrifying. So pray, and I ask others to pray for me. I do the same for you and for your family. I may, however, drag on for a long time. God alone knows. 
when the end will come. That was part one of the first book of Samuel, chapter 31, and the second book of Samuel, chapter one, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.